Welcome to the sauce. A little bit spicy. Sometimes a little bit sweet. You never know what bottle you're going to get. <laughs> but it is something you can never have enough of. I'm Vicky. I cook. She drinks. She is me. I'm Tash. I drink. And Vicky cooks. And we both talk a lot about food. <laughs> Vicky runs Nourish Magazine, New Zealand's most read food publication. Really, it's the highest numbers. And Tash is the New Zealand's leading drinks writer, plus a whole swag more. <laughs> Pies, let me put my fingers in them. Together we run the feed and bring you the source, relevant fresh bites and takes on what's worth eating and drinking in Aotearoa, New Zealand. On the saucy sauce. Vicky, what have you been eating this week? Well, this week it was bake sale at school. Mm. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of pressure when it comes to bake sale. Is that just the the competitive mum and me? I, don't, I mean, you have you have not one but two cookbooks. You used to run a cafe and you run a food publication business. Do the other parents just look at you with like you know slight intimidation in the eyes? Is there is, are you setting the expectation for yourself or is it them? Yeah, I know because it's pretty anonymous. So I think the expectation is from me. But it's a bit like um, the the shared lunch when you were a kid and your mother used to make something when you knew that the mellow puffs, the mum that used to bring the mellow puffs, used to be the most popular mum. This was back in the eighties. I have a true story going to tell about a shared lunch recently <laughs> that no word of a lie one of the parents at my nephew's school turned up with a shared lunch with a mcdonald's happy meal for every kid oh that's genius <laughs> like straight that's, to the top of the class yeah every <laughs> every kid would love that mum can you imagine yeah. can you well, imagine well I would have painstakingly made beautiful sandwiches or something that are just left drying in the corner yeah yeah you know oh, I would have eaten them I'm a fan of a cucumber sandwich or the mum who tries to put vegetable sticks in hummus like come <laughs> on anyway bake sale time is short shoot day yesterday I'm going oh my goodness what am I going to bake so anyway I pulled out the trusty old um Afghan recipe, which is in the Nourish Cookbook Volume Two, um, now. but oh, mine available <laughs> online. Please go to thefeed.co.nz and click the ad. Nominated fourth <laughs> in the world for their easiest recipes. Ooh. Anyway, talking about easy recipes, Afghans are it. This is a this is an oldie but a goodie from the catering cafe days, and no flaffing around with um, creaming butter and sugar. You just one pot, wonder melt the butter, add the sugar, cocoa, rah rah rah. But the difference with my Afghans and and your regular good old Afghan, which needs a rebrand, by the way, um, is that I use crunchy nut cornflakes. Oh, is that a brand placement? It's well, like the could they please? Yeah, okay, we'll send, send me some crunchy nut cornflakes. <laughs> the only time I shop in the other than rice bubbles for the young one, the only time I buy cereal is for cooking. Oh. We used to have cereal as a kid, and we still do. If we have fancy cereal in this house, it's a dessert option, not a breakfast option. Cocoa Pops are completely and utterly a legitimate dessert, not breakfast. Um, okay. Like sprinkled on ice cream or just as they are? Just as they are with milk. It's a crunchy milkshake for dessert. Yeah. You know what? It's a, it's a genius idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Moving on. So, uh, but, you know, if you really want to look at desserts and cereals, Christine Tulsi's Mamafuku Milk Bar fame, like the cornflake um, panna cotta, if you haven't tried it, you need to give it a go. It's like your childhood in a dessert form, and I'm not talking Cocoa Pops this time. She is obscenely talented. Yeah. So anyway, crunchy nut cornflakes into the Afghans instead of cornflakes, and they are 
just next level crunchy, beautiful, delicious. I just had to put contains nuts in mm. there mm-hmm. for the um, bake sale. And when hopefully they're, they're the best seller, but who will know? Not that you're competitive, eh? Not. Oh. Anyway, so I was finishing the box of crunchy nut, had a little bit left in the bottom, and was reading a recipe on the side of the box, and it was for a Florentine slice. Love a good Florentine. Usually the sucker, when I'm in a cafe and they have Florentines, because I can't make the suckers. No matter what I do, I can't make a Florentine, you know, like your typical round Florentine. You know yes. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, Basically yeah. cornflakes and mixed fruit, yeah. condensed milk, chocolate. I often given as a Christmas gift for people who want to like hand make some stuff, but I often find that the ones that I get end up very kind of oily and greasy. Oh, I was going to say, are you the one who gives them as Christmas gifts? Because if so, can I be on the list? I will put you on that list. Thank you. Anyway, so I thought, well, I'll give this one a go. It seemed pretty simple. It was literally crunchy nut cornflakes, condensed milk and mixed fruit. Okay. Mixed in a bowl, baked in the oven, topped with chocolate. I thought, how can I screw this one up? I'm the tension is rising. <laughs> I'm feeling anxious already. <laughs> and I was thinking it doesn't really matter. This is not going in the bake sale. I will just get a spoon and eat it even if it doesn't work. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For yeah. dessert. Yeah. Let's just not right. breakfast. Yeah, sure. Anyway. <laughs> but the problem was I didn't have any mixed fruit. And dun, this was a dun, dun. problem that I I came across a couple of weeks ago when I was doing what everyone does at this time. <laughs> And that I was making Christmas mints. Pies. Mints. No, just the mints because oh, it's mince. got a marinade oh, and yeah, stew. Yeah, if yeah. I was my grandmother, I would have done it four months uh-huh. ago. Uh-huh. I can see you don't like Christmas mints. No, I love yeah. Christmas stewed fruit. I love <laughs> Christmas soaked fruit. Oh, it's the mince word. I can't say <laughs> I can't say Christmas ground ground fruit. <laughs> For that. Okay. All right. Anyway, it's mints. Okay. It is. It's a, it is. It's a it's fruit word, mints. apparently. No, it's fruit mints. Anyway, moving on. So the good old pack and save didn't have um, mixed fruit, dried fruit. And I thought, oh, everybody's got the same idea. I have. There's no mixed fruit. So then I went to good old countdown slash Woolworths and they didn't have any either. And I thought, oh, this is. You're right. Bit. There's a national rush there, on quarantines. I'm, I'm just. <laughs> No, and everyone's making their Christmas pies and and cakes and stuff. And I'm thinking, is this going to be like the 2020 brown sugar shortage? Ooh. You know, right on Christmas time, baking, are we in trouble? Thought not to panic, won't let it get get out there Mm because we don't want to stampede. Yeah. But I'll come, you know, next week when I'm in the still on my list, I'll go and have a look. But the Florentines needed the mixed fruit. This is a long story for a talk about the fake sale. But anyway. Bear with me, people. So I then went to four different dairies. I'm lucky Wait, enough to four. live in. I'm I'm lucky enough to live in an area that has four dairies yeah, within well Kiwi. To do. Yeah, <laughs> or not one of the way it <laughs> depends. Anyway, I think if you're well to do, you have a new world. Oh, maybe in maybe. your neighbourhood. Yeah, true. If true, you're not well to do, you have a dairy <laughs> or five. Anyway, so. <laughs> Went into four said dairies and came out short every single time. Not a bag of mixed fruit in any of them. Panic is arising now. I'm I'm concerned for the mixed fruit shortage of New Zealand. But I also came out with a little bit of a dilemma. Every single dairy had a packet of guess what? Where the mixed fruit should have been. What did they actually have? Uh, dried apricots, my first guess. Yeah, no. Cranberries. What? Dried cranberries. Okay. Like, my, 
And don't get me wrong, I got cranberries in my pantry, didn't eat cranberries, hardly ever need cranberries. That's why they're still in the pantry. Cranberries are delicious in like a New York style crumble cookie with white chocolate and macadamias. Oh, yeah. 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 That and a couple of other occasions, but not a staple. Mm. When did they become a staple that every dairy stocks cranberries? Oh, I know. When? I'm going to say it was You're going to give me a TikTok viral no, video. No, I'm going to take us straight back to the 90s. I'll tell you when. Exa- it was when everybody started making chicken, cranberry, and brie everything. Yeah, but wasn't that a chutney, not a dried, sweetened, no, awful, no. chewy thing? Nah. Nah, on pizza, they'd just put actual cranberries. Well, I'm going to sit in the in the camp that these dairies, cram packets of cranberries, are not there because they're popular, but because they've been there since the 90s <laughs> and no one's buying them and everyone's still buying their mixed fruit and that's run <laughs> off the shelf because word has got out that there is a mixed fruit shortage. I'm going to cling to that for New Zealand's cultural ethos. Were the cranberries, you know? were they desiccated by now? Like were they still? Oh, I didn't. Still- I, I saw cranberry and walked on. Uh-huh. I was got my more dairies to visit. So anyway, so I did make Florentine slice, overcooked it, still going to go back for another go when I've got mixed fruit because at the moment it's just got quite burnt sultanas in there. <laughs> so watch this space. It's like a keto sultana <laughs> pasty. <laughs> that's what I say. That's what I've been cooking. The perils of a bake sale. Uh, uh, you know, speaking of cranberry... Um, there are delicious notes of cranberry to be found in uh, pour-over Ethiopian single origin coffee. Oh, my giddy and, and that is what I've been drinking yeah. recently, coffee. Pour-over uh, in particular? I Look, I like to drink around the spectrum mm-hmm. of coffee. So sometimes it'll be a uh, plunder, you know, the old French press first thing I in the morning. I love a French press. Me too. And, you know, I've gone through all the varying techniques over the years of how to prepare the French press. Um, credit to Che Tamahori, who actually, in, if, in, in reference to, hey, look, do things quick, do things easy, you know, melt mm-hmm. the butter, don't cream the butter and the sugar. He essentially um, taught me one of the greatest French press hacks I've ever learned. Oh, to this day. Uh, so coffee in the pot. Water in the pot. Yeah. Get a knife. Stir the coffee in the water. You get that oil. With a knife. Well, a, a knife, a spoon. Oh, okay. We only ever had knives in the work kitchen. Oh, Come on. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so stir it yeah. vigorously for about a minute, and you get the emulsification in the drawer of all of the oils. It actually gets a better consistency of that drawer out through the coffee, and then depress it immediately. None of this waiting four minutes for it to steep like tea. Oh, see, I've never done the way. I've always done the stir. Oh, yeah, no. But that was probably because caterer days where we had big plunges, it was a speed thing. Who sits and waits? And then people say, I got cold coffee. Yeah, but there's actual flavor. There's Mm. actual flavor benefits Mm. to doing it. Anyway, coffee, uh, French press in the morning, in the afternoon, when you need a little pick me up, uh, coffee tonic. Coffee and tonic. It is the best non alcoholic drink. So, an espresso shot. You can go two ways. You can go cold brew or pour over. Okay. Or you can go uh, espresso. I love mine espresso because I do like that deep kind of uh-huh. rich, full-bodied pull through. Yeah. Um, but coffee, uh, espresso coffee over ice, 
topped with tonic, uh, a wedge of grapefruit um, if you have it, or grapefruit peel if you have it, wow. but not necessary. Uh, and that is just uh, the it is honestly the best non-alcoholic drink that you can have. Whether you're at a cocktail party, whatever, you can have decaf. It's fine. It is. It's luscious. It's full-bodied. It's got you know a little bit of bitterness. It's it's just everything about it is. Perfect. And I had one yesterday and I just am still dreaming about it because even though I do believe it is going to be the summer of rum, um, there's a reason why we should be paying attention to coffee. That's because Spirits New Zealand released a survey saying that the espresso martini is not as unsurprisingly still New Zealand's number one cocktail. See, the cosmopolitan with its cranberry has gone. <laughs> Well, that's because they've you know, clearly I, run out of garnish. The dairies are <laughs> see. I told you, cranberries are gone. People They're out, out. <laughs> yeah, so, long live the espresso martini. I say, if you yeah, pick that up at your dairy, yeah. So the ch- the challenge with the espresso martini is two things. One is that it is the espresso martini, not the espresso martini. That's just a fast one, um, poured out of a slushy machine. Um, but no, so the espresso martini, uh, always popular. not always made well. So I just want to put this out there. I did say last episode that this this year is the summer of rum. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you want to use a great spiced rum instead of vodka as the base for that espresso martini. Does that still make it a martini? Absolutely. Okay. Totally. What makes it a martini? The glass it's It's the shape of the glass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing that everybody goes, oh, wait, 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 what? Um, Not shaken and stirred. It's the glass. It's the the glass. It's the the, the shape of the glass. Um, And a traditional martini is, of course, actually gin, vermouth. Yes. You know, olives, none of this vodka martini, whatever. That's just for... Anyway, anyway, spiced rum in your espresso martini, uh, make it using New Zealand's own Quick Brown Fox um, coffee liqueur because it is so much better than Kahlua, just saying. Uh, and espresso, you shake that um, and that is that is delicious. But there is another drink coming for summer, which I just wanted to introduce you to because I've been drinking it and that is the frozen flat white martini. It feels already like this is a lot of brand placement in this episode (laughs) for the no sponsors. Of this episode, but if you'd like to sponsor us, you know, yeah, well, and I've got a, a I've got a great idea about that just <laughs> in a second. Um, but uh, this year, Quick Brown Fox, um, so they've been they've been in business since uh, for about ten years, oh, longer than that, wouldn't it be? Uh, just about longer than that, hmm. but yeah, they've it was it was in development for a long time. Um, I've actually got a really great interview with Arjun, the founder of Quick Brown Fox, coming out on the feed in a couple of weeks' time. Nice, so, um, but uh, their flat white, uh coffee liqueur is now out it's it's creamy it's uh just the right amount of sweetness but true coffee flavor it's absolutely delicious and you want to take that plus your uh plus your uh, original coffee ingredients and then three cubes of standard household ice you know the little rectangle mm-hmm. or whatever that blended is one perfect serve of a oh. frozen flat white martini delicious and you can put it in a slushy machine <laughs> and i'm just saying drinks of summer guys yeah drinks of summer Frozen flat white martinis. Let's go. Sounds good. Uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Dunedin Craft Beer Festival, Arjun was serving those uh, frozen flat white martinis in an edible cookie Ooh. cup. I'm just saying it's going to be a good summer if if for nothing else that the frozen flat white martini. If only we could have street drinking like other countries. <laughs> 
like in a takeaway edible cup. If only, you know? if only we were having our own European summer yeah. in New Zealand this summer. Yes. Uh, okay, time to move on to the spicy sp- sauce. And speaking of sponsors, I've got a great idea, Vic. Hit me with it. I'm always out for a good sponsor. Yeah, Cully's. Cully. Cully's Hot Sauce. They yeah. are one of my favourite oh. hot They They make my favourite, my favourite hot sauce. Um, I can never get hold of it in my local supermarket. Speaking of supermarket shortages, um, the number four. Not just mixed fruit, it's That's Cully's right. Hot Sauce. Yeah, it's it's Cully's Hot Sauce number four, the oh. verde, the green sauce. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying, I think that's a pitch uh, for our spicy sauce segment. All right. Um, Chris Cullen, I'm coming to talk to you. Uh, that'll be great. But um, I believe you've got a spicy sauce opinion for us this week. Well, it's me. not really opinion. I, I I, was just saying that, you know, this whole TikTok influencer kind of thing, it can't really affect me until it's well and truly passed or all the mums in the world know about it because not on TikTok. Sorry. Um, so if it hits Facebook or Instagram, it's either already gone if you're cool or it's truly viral. <laughs> And what? now I can see it. But anyway, so the the one that's been hitting my feed is um, burnt butter that's been frozen into ice cubes. What? Exactly. So the frozen butter that well, is the opposite of I. That is the opposite of what I want to do with my butter. Yes. Well, for starters, I don't know if this is a craze that's coming from other countries where they're not paying seven dollars a block of butter. Because quite frankly, I'm looking at recipes that use less butter, not more butter. Yeah. But I'm just looking at getting a cow. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> um. The the theory is that, and it's true that burnt butter. That's when you when you cook it until it's brown. So we've all tried the um, burnt butter gnocchi kind of sauces with sage and things mm-hmm. like that. And that's when the butter actually becomes very flavoursome in itself without very much mm. else going on. Mm. Um, that is a really valid theory when it comes to flavour in food. And then the butter isn't just an ingredient to do things. It's actually a flavour in it. And actually in the spring edition of Nourish, we I made a burnt butter carrot loaf. Ooh. So it's actually taking that theory in your baking and burning the butter and getting that beautiful flavour in your baking. Because it's actually the it's the milk fats in it that are browning. Burnt, yes. And, yeah, getting okay, that right? kind of hazelnutty nuttiness to them. Mm. I and, did, in fact, hear a cook the other day say that if you're not browning your butter, then you're not getting the most that you can out of the ingredient. Well, they're probably following the same – well, not – they're probably – Ahead of me and following some TikToks that I'm not seeing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so what I what my feed is is I've been noticing because I sort of you know you see it once and you go oh that's interesting then you see it a couple more times and you're going oh this is interesting and even more is that the people are burning their butter like we're taking it out of context now they're making burnt butter they're getting it to that brown stage yeah. in a reasonable amount and then they're freezing it into ice cubes so that it's ready to go when they want to use it in lots of other ways because it's quite a flaff Sh- sure yeah no don't you think it's i mean like i, I i'm on the edge here because I'm like the well if I had that in my freezer I'm gonna go through phases of just eating a lot of burnt butter things and I didn't need to have a lot of burnt butter this burnt butter that yeah but it is actually quite genius because because it's one of those jobs where if you screw it up you just wasted a lot of money if you take it too far 
or yeah. you don't take it far enough. And it's one of those occasions where if you're watching it, it's like a washed ke- kettle, pot, bottle, boiled mm. water, you mm. know, it's not going, not going. So as soon as the phone rings or I go to get the washing out of the thing, it's going to go and I'm going to burn it. So you go to the effort of actually taking the time to do it properly, stand by the stove for the 20 minutes it's going to take, why not do a decent amount and then pop it in the freezer so that you've got perfect burnt butter every time you need it? I'm, I'm, I'm veering towards it's a good idea. I, but it's, I just think you'd have to be so committed to brown butter as a, as a well, that's where I'm, <laughs> that's where it's, because, they lose me. I mean, you know, I'm already wrestling for freezer space. Mind you, that is because I do, I do have a whole kind of ice station. I have a large format ice station in my freezer. So I sacrifice a lot of space already. Okay. Maybe this is my fault. So mm. swap the ice with burnt butter. Never, never gonna know. happen. Never gonna burn butter in your coffee. Next trend. Oh, Watch ha- this space. Hashtag keto. You know what? That sounds really good. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> That's yeah. I just. I mean, now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, maybe a may, so burn butter martini. Uh, it burnt butter for fat washing, bourbon and rum is definitely a thing. Wow. Can we start this trend? Come on. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's time. I don't to, think we start any trends, but anyway, can we re- <laughs> can we reverse engineer? Can we reverse engineer from from your Facebook bubble into TikTok and see where we go? Yeah, mm, brown yeah. butter. I also feel like brown butter was really popular like ten years ago, and it kind of went off the boil. <clears throat> pun intended. <laughs> um, but but maybe it is coming back. It's maybe the rosé of ingredients in that it just they just keep giving it another go. They keep giving it another go. I have been told by various sources since I was a 22-year-old waiter in, yeah. in London that rosé was the next big thing. It's huge. huge. It's huge. Huge. Oh. I'm, I'm continuing. I'm, I struggle not to smile when I'm told that again at a the ripe old age of nearly 50. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I just think it would be great if, you know, New Zealanders drank more things outside the standard four. But, hey, that's just me. My theory is make a good rosé and it might come back. <laughs> okay, is that enough sauce for us today? <laughs> Spicy, <laughs> spicy. Uh, I tell you what. So something that uh, for the main course today, something that does get a lot of attention, and I think deservedly so, is the question about sustainability in food and beverage manufacturing. Uh, it's something that I've been doing a deep dive on into recently, particularly around how we can use uh, two components, how we can use technology to make advances in that space, but also how actually through better business practice we can achieve greater efficiency in our production methodology because often that's actually where the greatest kind of savings or the greatest impact is, is just reducing the impact that we create from you know the beginning. Um but yeah, sustainability, hot takes? I think it's an interesting one because I think this is a topic that I've sort of is sort of raised a lot in the back end conversations when you're talking to businesses. Like I talk about it a lot with a lot of the people that I'm always in conversation with, always business owners, and whether they're actually um, food producers or even your hospitality businesses. And the the biggest grapple with is that a lot of them, if they 
have sustainability at the forefront of who they are, it is because it's who they are as people, not as who they are as businesses. Mm. Because I, I to to date, there's very few businesses who I think you can point to and say they front foot or they spend a lot of time and money being sustainable, and that has impacted in a positive way their bottom line. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot more of them do it. They, I mean, that's kind of where I come in and why the conversation is, is how do you tell that story? But the majority of consumers don't give a rats. Mm. They say they do. But, you know, it's like the, for me, it's like the free range egg conversation. You know, if you, if you, you'll pay an extra 20 cents an egg if this is important to you. But as soon as those egg prices go, ethics are out the door. Mm, mm. And so I think it's really hard for businesses um, to to make sustainability a, a big thing unless it's really a personal push for them. Yeah, it's that hierarchy of ethical choices that you make, right? And yeah. there's always something that may trump it. Um, so, so fascinating. So I had the opportunity to talk to uh, Richard Wilson from Sandy Mount Distillery. They are New Zealand's only carbon net zero certified distillery. Um, they're down in Dunedin and uh, we dove into a bunch of those conversations, like why why to make the commitment. And I think mm-hmm. you're right, you know, you'll hear, um, you know, Richard is personally quite committed to the cause. But the extent to which you have to uh, consider every aspect of your business to go through the certification process is really intense. And it does leave you with those questions of, you know, for many food and beverage producers, how can you make it work unless it's going to be something that becomes mandated or part of regulation in order to consider. And we know that we're heading in that direction because without that kind of regulation, New Zealand's never going to hit their emissions targets or their emission Mm. reduction targets. So it becomes a really massive question that probably more businesses should be thinking about. Um, But the question is, we're all consumers, regardless of whether we're running businesses or not, we're all consumers. So at some point, will we all be impacted by it? Because if the cost of sustainability goes up, ultimately, isn't it going to be consumers who wear that as well? Yeah, well, that well, that's the problem, isn't it? And I think that's where you you, you look at, um, I always talk to small growers, like your farmer's market suppliers, mm. kind of things like that. And a lot of those people are organic or spray-free or whatever way they want to describe it. None of them will be registered in that respect because it's just prohibitive. Mm. But, it does, but these are the people that should be. These are the people that are probably leading the way in regenerative farming and organic farming and things like that. But the the stamp of approval from Organic New Zealand or BioGrow New Zealand or whatever thing is really only there for people who are on a large scale or wanting to export. And even then that's problematic because they don't match up with other countries' export or organic, prob- you know, what have you. So if you once you start getting into this whole accreditation, what have you, if you're just a – a you know a farmer a local veggie grower in the Waikato or something like that and you supply a couple of farmers markets and maybe a few restaurants what's the point in in that it really is just about your ethics and things like that isn't it yeah well let's dive in uh this interview with Richard from Sandy Mount uh he'll take us on the journey of what it meant for them Talk to me about Carbon Zero. Let's start with the decision-making process. Where I am located, I have very limited grid power supply. I was never going to get more than single phase to the building. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. that, that there informs the fact that I know I'm not going to grow my business over a certain size. It's one of the factors why I won't produce more than 16,000 bottles a year. Yeah. Because I will have my facility won't facil- facilitate that. Neither will the lifestyle business that I've created. I know what the limitations of Sandy Mount are. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting solar on the roof allowed me to increase my capacity a little bit without having to change my connection to the grid. Um, it enables me, it makes a lot of business sense. The ROI for me on a domestic energy rate mm-hmm. um, actually down to four years rather than 10, which would be at a commercial rate. Um, and there's a whole heap of business decisions there that were really, really obvious mm-hmm. for me to follow. Right. So that's one component. And then I was all, I'm already on spring water. So my water reticulation system, which is worth about three points, um, is something that makes sense because of the limitations of the resources that I have. Mm. Just like power. The limitations of the resource that I have, I had to mold my business around them. Um, and then the other thing is the general ethos of the business and how I integrate with my land. So planting trees as a and particular native species and that program um it's a it's part of the as a business decision making thing sort of but it comes from my own desire to transform my own property first mm-hmm. i use sand mount as a tool to reach that goal um, and then the final thing that uh, kind of contributes into the bigger picture is things like um post-consumer waste um, labels great it just so happens that the post-consumer waste material that makes up my labels were my favorite texture, a perfectly good price, although the same price point as a non-recyclable or non-post-consumer waste product. Um, I, would, I spent zero extra on any of the things that I have done. Mm-hmm. This was just how I am running my business. And then someone said to me, uh, it was actually the... CE of my former industry um, facility and facilities management saying, hey, um, we've got a sustainability award coming up. You do all this great stuff. Why don't you become carbon neutral certified? I'm like, ha, never even thought of that. It hadn't, it took, it was not a consideration in any of my business practices to reach the goal of being certified carbon neutral. Okay, I'll look into it. Um, and then I saw, I, I, I need to measure. I know I need to measure anyway. Every SME should start as a baseline measuring and know where they stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if you're miles away or you're really close. It doesn't matter. If you don't know, you can't change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did my measuring and I created 11.1 um, tons of um, carbon emissions. Shit, that's quite low. Hmm, funny that. So my my offsetting was extraordinarily cheap. Um. I had two options. I could go through ECOS or I could go through Toy2 right. as, as accreditors. I chose to go through ECOS because uh, they would take all of my calculations and backdate them for the last 12 months as opposed mm-hmm. to Toy2 as we start collecting now, data now, and we'll see you in 12 months. So I just chose the one that would already talk about what I've already done in the last year. Um, and became carbon zero fairly quickly after that. The and the so the decision making process was, I'm already doing all this stuff anyway. Yeah. How how cool that I can be certified for it, 
Um, and and I and and this is this is a huge message that I I speak and I I actually spoke at a um a green party rally the other day for carbon zero in Dunedin, um and it's not necessarily the best chat because my intentions have never been as pure as they'd like. But speaking to SME like to small business owners, I'm saying nothing that I have done to get here has cost me. I've done I've not changed my business practice. I was already predisposed to obviously run my business this way anyway yeah um, and that it's so achievable for everybody so it's actually trying to take the um the green washing out of it what are the micro things that what are the micro achievements or micro changes we need to make in order to make it more achievable or in order to create that as an industry standard practice mm. or for other businesses in the same industry such a, within the distilling industry, there's such a huge variation on the the makeup, size, and scale of the distilleries, right? So if you're a very small operation working out of a garage, which there are plenty of, then the 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 cost of power source going into running that operation mm-hmm. uh, almost always in these smaller operations on a domestic rate, yeah, um, which is twice that of a commercial rate. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we get things like those ROIs that that, that sh- it shifts significantly, and things like solar become far more palatable. Yeah. So that's just not it's not something to, a micro thing to change. It's something to be aware of in the the conversations. And I mean, I can see building a demand of if more people were kind of aware of the savings that they could make in that business decision by investing in that power source, mm-hmm. um, then it would actually there would be more people with carbon statements out there yeah and creating a bigger more of a snowballing demand from consumers and that would eventually flow on to bigger players which have far bigger problems or rather a far bigger bill to achieve that significant velocity well that was really interesting and i think it's a topic that we should probably um look into further with and see how other businesses are impacted or what they're doing in future editions yeah definitely i mean it's obvious that we do have to pay attention to what we are doing and the way that it impacts the environment because you know we're starting to see the reality of what's going on around the planet right exactly and one of those just may actually impact us all harder than we thought well, let's be let's be honest. Some I mean, of us, you you cook and drink, and I drink and cook, and so keyword drinking here. Um, I see that you've got you've pulled something oh, up. What I got, got nervous last night. Like, forget the mixed dried fruit shortage. <laughs> Are there like, something worse? <laughs> there's something worse. Maybe this is why there's a shortage of mixed fruit because those grapes are going to fill the shortage of wine producing grapes of 2023 okay this 2023 is predicted to be the lowest production of wine for 62 years wait but it's probably just like in but just like in france right no across the world i'm just thinking 62 years ago we didn't even drink wine in new zealand so like it wouldn't have even impacted us back then but now Big problems, big problems. No, across the world. So the whole of Europe is down. Um, Italy is down about 20%, I think it is, which means now France is the biggest producer of wine in the world. But the European Union produces over 60% of the world's wine. Mm. Um, and uh, yields are down 14% in Spain and 12% in Italy. 
that's because of the beautiful summer we had just too hot too hot too dry too too yeah just too but it is also southern hemisphere is also down so wildfires and the heat in chile meant their production is down 20 percent the u.s is down 12 percent and i think even australia is way down as well so um big big impact they didn't mention new zealand but i would expect that uh, the, the the opposite to dry summers the very wet summer in the Hawke's Bay would well, have impacted yeah. our production pretty big. We may, we may have just, in a great big circle, solved your mixed fruit, pro- <laughs> your mixed fruit <laughs> question. Uh, we're out of mixed fruit and next year we'll be out of wine too. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that is definitely something that you need to know this week. Uh, for everything else you need to know, head along to thefeed.co.nz. Uh, make sure to subscribe and you'll receive our weekly newsletter with all the freshest bites and things to know about what to eat and drink in New Zealand. Thanks, Vicky. Cheers. Thank you.